Do you have anxiety around spending money or shame around debt? Do you feel like you're in a constant negative loop with your money mindset? You might want to see a financial therapist. In this episode, I chat with Wendy Wright, a financial therapist who sheds light on what financial therapy actually is, what to expect, and how it can help you shift your money mindset in your financial life. The Mental Health and Wealth Show, The Mental Health and Wealth Show, The Mental Health and Wealth Show. Thank you so much for listening to The Mental Health and Wealth Show. This is host Melanie Locker. And first of all, I want to acknowledge that you are brave and amazing for being here. Getting ready to listen to a show about mental health and money is not easy, and I know you are ready for these amazing conversations. But before you listen, I want to let you know that all of my content is based on my own personal experience with mental health and money, as well as the experiences and expertise of my guests. I'm not a mental health professional or a financial professional, so content should not be considered professional, medical, or financial advice. As a trigger warning, please note that content on the show may include sensitive topics around mental health and suicide. So if you're currently in distress, please get in touch with a professional by texting HOME to 741-741. Thank you so much and enjoy the show. This is Melanie Lockhart, host of the Mental Health and Wealth Show, and today I'm interviewing Wendy Wright. Wendy Wright spoke at the Mental Health and Wealth Summit, and she offers financial counseling and helps you name the blocks that get in the way of your best financial life. I'm so excited to share this interview with you today. In her early career, she was a mortgage loan officer, business owner, and successful house flipper. Then she later became a licensed marriage and family therapist, and she's also the founder and CEO of Financial Therapy Solutions, LLC, a financial therapy group practice based in Denver, Colorado. The Financial Therapy Solutions team of therapists also offers telehealth services. Wendy is amazing, and she did a wonderful session on spending triggers at the Mental Health and Wealth Summit. Thank you so much for being on the Mental Health and Wealth Show podcast. I am so excited to be here, Melanie. I love the work you're doing, and I can't say enough about how great it is to be helping people with that intersection of money and emotions. Yes, it is so important. And I really have to say your spending trigger session at the summit, which we're hoping to have available as a digital download at some point soon, was just phenomenal and so eye-opening. And just the way you talked about spending as it relates to your emotions as a way of form of communication, it just made me think of my own spending in so many different ways. And I think, you know, seeing that aha moment for so many people was just so beautiful. So thank you for everything you've contributed for the summit. And then for the listeners, definitely uh, keep a watch out for potential release of that video. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's great to talk about um, because, and even just to talk about what the heck is financial therapy, it's still so new. Um, I find myself describing it most of the time to people because they haven't even heard of it yet. But you were such a leader in this recognizing this emotional connection that it's great to be here and talk to your audience because I know they get it. Yes, I'm so excited. So I just want to preface that, you know, I definitely have a love of the intersection of money and mental health. But I just a few years ago realized there's an actual field of expertise called financial therapy, which I thought was so amazing because. I've been going to traditional therapy for half of my life on and off, and I love the power of therapy. And then 
I kind of got into the intersection of money and mental health because of my debt, because of my own journey with money. And so, you know, a few years ago, I met Amanda Clayman, who's a financial therapist, Lindsay Bryan Podvin, who's a financial therapist who also spoke at the summit, and now you. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh my gosh, there's this whole dedicated field to this. And, you know, here I am, I have an interest and a passion. Obviously, I want to highlight these voices, but there's this whole field of financial therapy that is so new to so many people. Like I said, I didn't even know it was a real <laughs> legit certified thing until a few years ago. So I'd love for you to share with our audience, what is financial therapy and who should go to financial therapy and, and what kind of things do you discuss? Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, first I'll say who should go to financial therapy? All y'all, like <laughs> everyone. definitely everyone, because it is so like, just always say, I say, imagine coming into a place where you can talk about money without any judgment, an abundance of compassionate curiosity, and without anyone trying to sell you anything. So it's not a product-based service. It is therapy where we talk about money. It's a therapy session where often one of the first questions I'll ask is, hey, What did you notice in your money transactions this week? And then we're off to the races, so to speak, because um, every transaction has the potential to bring up a lot of emotional depth um, when there's anxiety, when there's avoidance, all the different things. And so financial therapy, it's just a, a new way to walk into that space, especially if it's causing you any kind of distress. If you're totally 100% fine with money and feeling really good about it. Maybe you don't need to call us right away, but you know, everyone can benefit from a conversation with it. But it's a really great place to get support and also maybe get some idea of how can I do things differently if you're really not enjoying your relationship with money. And by money, I mean spending, saving, debting, earning, investing, like all of those different pieces that go into it. Yeah. I so wish I knew about financial therapy a decade ago when I graduated from NYU and I was so severely depressed about my debt. And I did go to therapy at a local college at a reduced rate because I was very broke at the time. And it it did help, but I felt like they didn't quite understand that the money portion, because I was kind of spinning my wheels where it would have been so nice to probably go to a financial therapist who would have understood why I'm spinning my wheels where the root of my anxiety comes from, because I don't like the idea of owing someone money. It causes me a lot of anxiety. I feel like people have things to hold over my head and that causes me so much anxiety and shame. And then there's the guilt of going to a fancy private school and taking out debt that you can't afford to pay back. And there are so many issues. And I think a financial therapist can address those issues with so much more nuance than a traditional therapist, because even my therapist who I love and adore, like she admits that a lot of people like touch on the topics of money, but don't really go deep into why are we relating to money that way? What is the actual baggage related to these issues? Because as we mentioned in the spending trigger session, money and spending and a lot of the conflict that is around that usually is about so much more than money, right? Mm-hmm. It really is. Um, one of the things that I like to do with clients, if they're feeling like they can't stop thinking about money, for instance, I can't stop thinking about money, or I'm just bad at money, or or if they're in a relationship and they say, all my partner cares about is money, then 
one of the things we start with is taking the word money out. And so let's use that example of I can't stop thinking about money. If we take the word money out, then we can get to what's underneath that. So it can be like, I can't stop thinking about that I'm a failure or I can't stop thinking about that I'm scared or I can't stop thinking about someone's not going to want to date me because I have debt, you know, all of those things. So by just that simple act of taking the word money out, which is something you guys listening to this right now, I know I said y'all earlier because I'm originally from Memphis, even though I'm in Denver, so I will throw y'all out there. Um, But, you know, y'all can do that right away. You can just take a journal and say, okay, I can't stop thinking about money, cross out the word money. And that will give you some insight as to what's going on with this. If you feel like um, recently someone was talking to me about debt and their, their feelings of debt. And, um, and I'll say too, like my clients, I value their confidentiality. What, you know, greatly. So if I'm using an example, it's not a client that I was having this conversation with. So I just want to give that so that clients know that their space is sacred. Um, but sometimes people are talking to me about whether they have debt or they, or they feel like they need to make more money or something that's getting in the way of things. And by pausing and asking these deeper questions of what is coming up with this, maybe they're really wanting to know that they have intrinsic value. Well, you know, we don't want to attach that even to money. We want to separate it from money, but sometimes money is the doorway to help us know if we're struggling with something like our self-worth or self-compassion. Totally. And yeah, I remember when I was deep in debt, it was so much about my self-esteem. And I felt like because I was making 10 to $12 an hour and because I had all of this debt, I felt like my self-worth is so low because my net worth is so low. And you just have all of these money markers kind of reinforcing that and you kind of get into a dysfunctional loop. Yeah, absolutely. And then that loop creates behavior. So if you're feeling like um, one of the classic, let me kind of go with this one. This is one of the, some of the things that people bring to financial therapy. One very common one is the belief that they are bad with money. And I'm using air quotes because I know people can't see us, but if I'm bad with money. So if you're bad with money, then you make decisions out of that. And if you feel that if you're bad with money, um, often it feels like um, it's a shame-based sort of belief that they are bad, like a character flaw that is insurmountable because they're bad. So therefore, why check their bank balance? Why make a plan? Why ask for help? Why not go ahead and buy whatever it is on the credit card because they're hopeless? And when we shift that and take it out of that area of feeling like that people are either quote unquote good with money or bad with money. And we, we neutralize that energy. Then they can come in and begin to make some changes because then you can be like, Oh, okay. I don't like that. I'm doing this with money. Here's what I'd like to do differently. But it takes a lot of compassion and a lot of safety, having the safe place like a financial therapy session to even identify what's going on underneath those beliefs. Yeah. There's so much to unpack and, you know, when it comes to our money mindset and our beliefs around money, I mean, that's been influenced by our family and our childhood and our friends and our culture and all the advertisements we see on TV and, you know, everything that is thrown our way on social media. I mean, it gets affected in so many different kinds of ways. And so I'm curious for someone that is potentially interested in financial therapy, they're thinking about going, you know, we had a whole episode on what to expect from therapy. What should people expect from financial therapy? What is the process and what should people expect? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's very interesting. It's kind of same, but different. So like um, at financialtherapysolutions.com, we have a team, we work at therapy sessions. So it's typically that session hour, which as you know, if you've had therapy, the the therapy session is 50 to 55 minutes of that hour and it is um, paid weekly. And so, and that's going to, it's going to be probably in the upper 100s to two, somewhere in the 200s an hour is, is uh, what you're going to find on the spectrum of cost. And it's going to be a place where you, you know, in, in therapy, we, we talk about coping skills, tools, we look at family history, we look at history because it gives us context to today. And I think it's really helpful to understand we're not looking to hang blame anywhere, but we want to see if maybe mom and dad always thought about money, then maybe you're very avoidant because you don't want your, your ultimate goal is to never have a fight. Therefore, you avoid all things money. So it's really helpful to notice that um, because often what will happen for somebody in this, like, let's use that situation as an example. If you see a highly avoidant, um, a lot of avoidance in money behaviors, those can be judged as lazy or not paying attention, being careless, whatever. But if we come in and we're like, oh, you're wanting to avoid conflict and here are some coping skills for conflict that can be manageable or peaceful resolution, that kind of stuff, then suddenly we see them being less avoidant around the money stuff. So it's helpful to look back a little bit for context to see and then to identify that and follow the thread into the money behavior, because often they're either hypervigilant or they're very avoidant, or maybe it's a feeling like a, a ping pong from one to the other every minute of the day, you know, feeling like I'm never going to look, oh, wait, I have to look 10 times kind of feeling. But when we start looking at that and we go underneath it, um, because the thing about money stuff that's so interesting is people often tend to attribute behaviors as bad habits or something that someone's not smart enough to figure out. And what I find is people generally who struggle with a lot of money stuff, it is not, it really doesn't have anything to do with intellect. It has more to do with subconscious behaviors and um, things where they're not really connected to what is in their decision-making. So a, th- a financial therapy session looks and feels a lot like a therapy session in terms of we're looking for coping styles, maybe new coping skills, increasing mindfulness, looking at what is a different way you could approach this. Uh, a lot of times I'll talk about overall, we're trying to decrease reactivity in order to increase connection with yourself and others. And we're doing it with just the paramount ultimate sense of safety so that you can talk about things. And because everybody has such a different relationship to money that it's really helpful to say, um, you know, you may have the words of like, oh, my debt is making me really anxious. And somebody might think, oh, you must have a million dollars worth of debt. And they actually have $200 worth of debt. So it's not even about the numbers for, you know, it's what I'm trying to say with that. It's not even about the numbers. It's about the relationship to the numbers and how that feels and what's coming up for them. And so, um, again, just coming into a financial therapy session is really helpful to calm down some of those stories that are in our head and release us from some shame and some mindsets. Does that help and give you enough of a snapshot? Yeah, totally. I think that's such a a wonderful description of kind of how financial therapy works and how it can help people. And 
I think that you mentioned a really great point is kind of this like risk tolerance as it relates to debt. And we mentioned that in the student loan session at the Mental Health and Wealth Summit is that it's important to also think of your risk tolerance as it relates to debt. Like I know that I am very debt averse, which is why I was so obsessed and anxious with paying off my debt. Whereas I had friends who owed double than what I did and they just didn't even care. And I was like, I wish I could be that way, but I'm just not Mm -hmm. that type of person. And, you know, I've also had people who kind of like the, your example, you mentioned, like they maybe only owe $2,000, but it's eating at them so much. And so there's a lot of things to unpack there that it's not just about the numbers, but like, what does that mean? What is the thing behind it? What is this actually bringing up for you? Then how can we find that sense of peace? And I love that you mentioned the word safety, because I think that's super important in a traditional therapy setting or financial therapy setting is that feeling of, of being safe and comfortable with someone that you can open up with, especially when Mm -hmm. there are so many personal details shared, especially as it relates to money. And this is yet another taboo topic that we're uncovering maybe for the first time ever. And so I'm curious, what are some common issues that you see in financial therapy with your clients? Mm -hmm. You know, Melanie, I think one of the most common things, um, not to oversimplify it, but a real commonality is shame. So I will often delineate the difference between shame and guilt like this. I will say guilt has a remedy and shame has a spiral because a lot of times people will say they feel guilty, but they're really experiencing shame. Shame is that that sensation that you're bad, that something is wrong with you. And what happens with that is it puts our stuff with money. It increases the risk because what we're afraid of is that someone's going to find out that we're as horrible as we think we are, you know, so it puts all of the, um, it increases anxiety around it. It increases the desire to have secrets, even from yourself. We often, you know, we'll notice that we'll play, uh, play games with ourselves, with like, Oh, well I have, you know, this, this money over here is set for this, but this money I'm going to do this with. And so it's like, we, we port, we categorize out our money or we don't log into an account until we make a purchase because we want to make sure we get it because we don't really have a um, plan. And that's another commonality, a common shift. One of the one of the game changers, as I call them, of financial therapy is shifting from um, instead of living out of your bank balance, we live out of a plan. And that takes time, it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of compassionate curiosity to build a plan and to recognize it. But that makes a big difference because then the plan helps you make decisions. A lot of uh, a lot of clients will also be struggling with a scarcity mindset. And that that one is probably people have heard of that before, too. But it's just this idea that there's never enough. And also that can lead to avoidance. Um, so often there's avoidance. And avoidance, again, can get a bad rap sometimes because really it's it may look like avoidance but really what's happening is there's a lot of fear. So a lot of fear of maybe never getting their needs met, if that's been an issue for them, if they felt like they don't know how to get their needs met. And then we're going to talk about money. And maybe the only way they felt like they could meet their needs was to use a credit card because it felt secret or hidden. You know, there's a lot of games that we'll play. And in financial therapy, we just slow it down and we talk that through and we look at it because Again, what we really want to be able to do is get your needs met in ways that feel really satisfying and sufficient apart from something attached to money. So 
these are um, some of the common ones. A lot of anxiety can really come up and also a lot of all or nothing thinking. So that can show up as I'm bad with money. Everyone else is good with money or um, I, I won't ever be good with it, or even sometimes with um, savings. So part of debt, and we, we might want to unpack this a little bit, but part of people's debt story is looking that they have a relationship with debt. One of the first things that will come up often is actually what we're talking about is the relationship with savings. And often my clients will say, or anyone that I ask, I'll say, do you have a relationship with savings? And they'll say, oh, I don't have one, but they do. What they have is one where they don't believe it's possible. So until we explore mm-hmm. the relationship savings, it's hard to really shift the relationship to the debt cycle because debt is not just a one-time paid off thing. Often for people, it's more of a cycle and it has broken promises and I'll never do that again. And then I did it. And now I feel shame and, you know, the cycle and the spiral. But when we really begin to first then talk about what is your relationship to savings, that unpacks a lot. And then once they can begin to save, um, one of my mentors and one of my favorite books is Karen McCall wrote it. It's on financial recovery. She pegged this, she calls this saving your way out of debt and talks a lot about how to build a relationship with savings and a saving strategy that helps avoid the debt cycle. And the, the other thing that I interject in the midst of that too, that I think is really important therapeutically is to walk into your relationship to your debt and to forgive yourself for getting into the debt. I find that that is a game changer for a lot of people because at first they're so busy beating themselves up about it and they feel an urgency and a panic to get out of debt that they throw a lot of money at getting out of it and they don't have anything to fall back on other than now they have available credit. So they fall back on that and to da, 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 you know, the cycle. And so by, by pausing and forgiving yourself and recognizing most people go into debt with good intentions and they meant well, and they, they had a plan and all these things. So we want to create softness and compassion there. And it can often start with forgiving yourself for it. I don't know if you've ever heard it strategized that way, but I find it to be really powerful. I love that. Yeah. And I think, you know, so much of it comes down to having this initial awareness. And like you said, really having that compassionate curiosity. And it's so easy to get into this like shame and blame spiral where it's like, oh, I can't believe I went to that fancy private school. Why did I do that? I can't believe I got into so much debt and like, I'll never make a lot of money. And yeah, it's this kind of black and white thinking, like you were talking about of like getting stuck into these ideas where it's like, let's take things one thing at a time and say, okay, I got into debt, but what can I do next? And what's the next new step that I can try to get out of this? And, you know, I mentioned in my book, Dear Debt, that I feel like getting out of debt for me was a lot like the five stages of grief. And I was in complete denial for the first stage. And that was really when I created a mint.com account and saw how much I owed. And then two days later deleted the account because I was like, I'm just going to pretend the numbers don't exist. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, <laughs> a couple of months later, I realized I couldn't afford to live in New York anymore and pay my student loans. And that was a big wake up call. And I think that's important for people to understand too, is like denial feels so comforting and safe, but the truth always catches up to you at some point. And so like if we can try to brace ourselves with that compassionate curiosity with what does this mean for me in my life? What is my risk tolerance towards debt or 
How do I want to pay this back? What's the plan that I want to create to create a sense of financial safety and security for myself and my family? Or like, what things do I want to do differently? Like, are you able to help people kind of facilitate these kind of ingrained patterns that have like, maybe they've had their whole entire life, but you're helping them kind of rewire your brain towards something else? Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big part of financial therapy too. Gosh, so much that you just said too, like um, we do sit with people and when they're logging into that mint account, when they're logging in, sometimes that is a part of session. If it's been felt too scary and that's been the beauty of telehealth. Like I work with people all over the place, um, all over the nation and we do telehealth. And because of that, we can share a screen. And I do this often where we share a screen and the client logs in and we look at those balances in session. And it's really helpful to have somebody just there alongside you, not judging it, not not going, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that's your balance. You know, like, no, we don't do that. That's that's not helpful. I have yet to meet anyone who was helped by being judged for their money or for anything for that matter. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> you know, and, and that's a, that's really helpful. So we'll look at that. I help people really begin to orient and organize their categories. It's really helpful because that's part of what we do, like um, help you name or kind of identify what you're spending in each category and actually running the numbers. Like we may use, um, I often use, like I'm also a certified financial recovery counselor who is part of Karen McCall's group and she has money grit is something she developed as a money coach over the years. It's a tool. There are other tools as well, like Tiller HQ. There's, you want to look for a tool that doesn't just look in the rear view mirror. You want to be able to make a plan. So that's a key differentiator of tools. And also um, like uh, now Barry Tesler wrote the art of money, which is basically the book on financial therapy. And she, the way she says it, I'm not quoting her verbatim, but basically the best tracking tool is the one that you use. So that's also really important. There's a lot of them out there and they offer different things. There's no perfect solution, but I do find it really helpful if you have a plan and then you're able to really track it and look at the numbers. This also can be a part of financial therapy sessions because there can be a lot of avoidance, a lot of denial, or a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear that come up for people. And that is where what makes financial therapy really different than other kinds of therapy, because we will help you look at those numbers. We'll help you do the math. Often we do a lot of mental math with our money and that if anybody wants to raise their hand right now, unless you're driving, don't raise both hands. <laughs> you know that we've tried doing mental math. Um, it doesn't really work that well. And that's how we forget things. We drop things off. So it's really helpful to run the numbers with us to really log into the accounts, fill in. If you've never filled out a net worth statement, we do that. We can do that together. And then if you do have enough, if you have um, some of my clients have inherited assets and they um, maybe that's a whole nother podcast really Melanie to talk about the impact of inherited wealth or a windfall because there's identity issues, there's emotions and things like that too. But for anyone who has a fear of going to a financial advisor or financial planner to actually make investment decisions, we can role play it in session. I can, I can mm. help guide someone into what are the questions to ask and also remind them that they don't have to make any decisions while they're there in that appointment. Because a lot of times if there's a lot of anxiety and shame, 
all they can think about is, oh my gosh, I don't want this financial planner to think I'm stupid. (laughs) So whatever the financial planner recommends, people will just be like, sure, sure, sure. That's fine. And then, then they leave the appointment and they don't even remember what was said because there's so much anxiety. So we can actually walk through that in session and say, okay, here are three, you know, maybe we'll identify here three or four questions for this meeting. And then you get to have other meetings. And that has helped tremendously with people feeling more at ease making those kind of investment decisions when they're in those places too. So there's a lot that can happen in a financial therapy session. Yeah, this is so diverse. I love it. And I think that there's so many different situations that financial therapy can really help with. And that's so lovely because we really need a place that we can talk about these issues that in many places you can't, or yeah, I can imagine going to a a professional and feeling like, oh, they know best. So let me just go along with what they say, but you're the one in charge of your money. And so you still want to make sure that you feel comfortable with it. You understand what's happening and that you're okay with everything going forward. And I think that is so beautiful. And so I'm curious, you know, for people that have a lot of debt or maybe they have very limited assets, how do you help clients kind of overcome any guilt and shame either around debt or being low income earners? Um, Well, so first, that is a great question, because when someone is um, ooh, in three different issues here. okay, so there's debt, there's low earnings. And there's shame and guilt. So we'll go back to, let's look at the shame and guilt. So guilt has a remedy. Shame has a spiral. Most likely we're experiencing shame, uh, feeling like I shouldn't, you know, especially now if, if anyone's been in a little bit of therapy, they know we look for keywords like should and supposed to. So if you think I shouldn't be in debt or I should be making more money, that's a key that there's probably some shame there. Shame freezes us. It keeps us stuck because we can't think around. We can't think outside that box. So it's really helpful to first name it and be like, oh, okay, there's that shame story again. And then have a lot of self-compassion and a lot of forgiveness. Now, guilt has a remedy. So if you, for instance, this will be kind of a silly example, but let's say you got offered two different jobs and one paid $100,000 and the other paid $2,000 and you took the $2,000 and you just, because you made a mistake, you can remedy it by saying, oh, sorry, my bad. I meant to take the hundred thousand, you know, like, so is there a concrete remedy? And if there is, okay, then let's work on that. Most likely there's a shame spiral that's keeping you stuck. Now, under earning is a really big deal. It's a big deal because it really says a lot about how you feel about your ability to show up for yourself and others And so that is really um, a great thing to explore in financial therapy. Am I under earning? Am I afraid? Am I afraid to ask for my worth? Am I afraid to believe in myself a little bit more than this? And so we can apply a lot of compassion there and look at what are some paths out of under earning. And sometimes we really just need a lot of support. So it can be a financial therapy session. It can be, there's some great books like the art of money, um, Overcoming Under Earning by Barbara Houston, you know, like, so diving into a book. So sometimes my clients will have, maybe they're, maybe they can meet once a month for a session and I'll give them homework in between. And we'll pick, we'll pick some of these books that may really target what they're struggling with. And then we'll process it once a month, or they're able to access you know, podcasts like this, things like that. So there's, there's definitely a range of resources available 
uh, Clever Girl Finance. I don't know if you've ever seen any of their resources. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's some great resources. Love her. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. so there are a lot of resources at different price points out there. So that, and then, and then sometimes it just helps to have that one-on-one safe space to really talk about your story and what's going on for you. Um, Karen McCall's book, Financial Recovery is a great resource and it's full of, um, okay, now do this. Like, so, you know, there's like really helpful tips and strategies and things like that too. I love actionable advice that gives you a plan on where to go and what to do. And what I like to remind people is, you know, yes, under earning and debt can be kind of normalized in today's society. And it can cause so much shame and blame and guilt of like, I made a mistake. I can't believe I let this happen. I did it. But then I also remind people that we are living in a system that we need to consider that you know, inflation has gone up so much. Childcare costs has gone up a lot. So has education costs and healthcare costs, but the wages have not. And so we cannot look at the whole money system without acknowledging systemic privilege. For example, that wages really haven't kept up with the cost of inflation for literally decades, but everything else is skyrocketing. And then, you know, maybe you've seen some of those memes that are out right now of like, oh my gosh, outside is so expensive now. And it's like, yeah, after a year in lockdown, like I think both literally and figuratively things are more expensive and they feel more expensive because we haven't been out as much, but then the cost of goods have literally gone up because of everything. And so it's important to just realize that we are in a system that sometimes isn't designed to benefit everyone. And so that we don't need to internalize all of that shame and blame when it's like, we're already working so hard to work in a system that can be kind of difficult as it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's so much room for compassion. And really having that openness of looking at what is my situation, you know, like each individual looking at their situation. And I find a lot of power comes in having a plan, whether it be written out on a piece of paper, like a plan for the next year, like really looking at the big picture, because that can help you begin to make some of those bigger, um, maybe, maybe really challenging or difficult decisions, maybe looking at maybe some change is going to occur in order to make things work. And so looking at that with compassionate curiosity, without reactivity, And especially if you're in dialogue with somebody about your financial um, and by plan, I don't mean like financial plan or plan your investments. I mean, like plan, write out your your categories and your purchases and look at um, without judging them, because perhaps, for instance, maybe there's something fun that someone's been waiting to buy and they're trying to figure out how they can afford it. You know, kind of that that's quote unquote, how do I afford it? And really looking at, okay, if I have these, this income and these expenses, but if there's a lot of shame, the shame may say you should never have fun. Or if you, if you have some debt, you should never do anything nice for yourself or whatever. So then in that case, then maybe there's sort of this um, secret spending and you go spend it because there's so much shame around it. You can't really overtly spend it. So you secretly spend it, but you're still spending it. So it gets real convoluted. But instead of judging that and being like, because um, a lot of times people will be very, um, I think we could say people do feel a freedom to judge other people's financial decisions. 
fair. Okay. And also what if we did it? (laughs) You know, what if we came at it with compassion and looked at, okay, maybe someone's really deprived when it comes to nurture. And this has been the only way they've been able to find nurture in their lives for a long time. And until they can find another way to feel nurtured, they're going to keep doing that spending behavior because that's been a part of their cycle. But in financial therapy, we can identify what you're really longing for here is nurture and care. And maybe then we can begin to identify other ways to have it or make peace with the fact that maybe that, you know, extra whatever it is that you want to buy is strictly for nurture and okay. And we call it that. Like when we're building a spending plan with somebody, I have categories where I'll say, this is for nurture. Maybe it's clothes they need for nurture or video games or, you know, like for me in Colorado, it's maybe something to enjoy in the winter, you know, like, cause I really like the winter here. So it's um, helpful to name if it's for nurturing, let's name it that let's claim that so that you get that full experience and not feel any shame for it. So sometimes the decision-making process is challenging and difficult enough that we want to keep the shame out of it and put a lot of compassion in it as we're trying to make, figure out a plan for ourselves. I love that. And I think it's important to kind of reconcile our purchases with our identity and kind of how we see ourselves or how, you know, we want to see ourselves. So for example, like I just recently spent what I think was a lot of money on a a new exercise outfit because I have exercise clothes that are like a raggedy t-shirt and some shorts or like whatever that because I'm like, I don't care about sweating and getting them dirty, but it's like, I also feel like a broke college student again with those clothes. And like, that's not kind of the vibe that I want to be going for. And I'm like, Melanie 3.0 wouldn't wear this. And so this new purchase that feels kind of out of my price range is kind of like, oh, this is expensive. But then I'm like, but Melanie 3.0 would wear nice clothes like that because it would motivate me to work out more. And then the working out is really good for my mental health and my physical health. And it's this positive loop. And Mm -hmm. so then when I think about all the things it's going to help me do, then I'm like, okay, even though it feels out of like more expensive than I'm willing to pay right now, I know that future Melanie will be wearing cuter clothes. That's going to like try to be the person that I want to be. Does that make sense? (laughs) Yeah, I think it's really powerful. And I appreciate you sharing so vulnerably, like your thought loop there of that purchase, because we all have these thought loops. This is very common of like, well, here's what I think and here's what I'm feeling. Um, one of the places I have people start, it's actually the downloadable handout or PDF on my website where you start by tracking your transactions with thoughts and feelings. You know, abundant, compassionate curiosity and zero judgment. Hopefully I've said that at least five times now um, in case you guys are noticing a theme, but really looking at not thinking so much about the number of the dollar amount, but looking at what is the story here? What is the thoughts and feelings? And is this something where there's been maybe a lot of deprivation and you're trying to soothe yourself or provide nurture or provide encouragement or say, hey, I believe in you, you know, all of those kind of things. By writing those down, you're really claiming it. You're really understanding it. It gives you something then to share if you have a partner or to share with your kids if you're trying to teach them some different things about money. So I encourage people to download that. Just start tracking and naming. So it's like, um, you know, the transaction, the store you bought the clothes from, how much they were, and then the thoughts and the feelings 
I was a little concerned about the expense, but I really want to have these clothes. If I will feel strong in them, I want to give this to myself. Like there's no judgment. There's no like too much or too little. You just want to name this. Try to, I encourage your listeners to download that, try doing it for a few weeks and see what patterns or themes you notice. Maybe you're really quick to buy gifts for everyone at the office, but you don't buy anything for yourself, you know, or whatever, what kind of patterns and themes that you notice the, that is very therapeutic. Yeah, that is so important. Yeah. So I appreciate you sharing that example. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And, you know, it took me a while to like kind of process mentally, but I was like, you know what, just hit submit and and buy it because A, it is for a women owned company. And I was like, I want to support other women owned businesses with my women owned business. And so that's something that is in alignment with my values is that I know I'm supporting another small business, especially a women owned business. And then number two, like, I had never seen myself as an athletic person ever. Like I've always been a more dramatic and artsy person. And then two and a half years ago, I discovered boxing and it was like the most unme thing I could ever possibly imagine doing. And then I totally fell in love with it. It's really helped me get out pent up aggression and anger and resentment. And so I think it's really healed my nervous system in a way. And now mm-hmm. it's like one of my top three tools to manage my mental health is boxing. And so it's like these clothes are more than just nicer clothes for me. They are an evolution of me never being an exercise person to guess what? I'm an exercise person now. Um, me thinking boxing is this violent, weird male sport to be like, hey, this is a great way for women to get out anger because there's no culturally, socially appropriate way for women to get out anger and boxing <laughs> is a way to do that. And then also, you know, I can have these cute clothes that I feel comfortable in, that I feel good in, that isn't kind of like the broke college student clothes that I would wear when I was paying off my debt because that's not who I am now. And I think part of the spending can be about like, who do I want to become? Who am I becoming? Who am I no longer Because it's like, I'm not paying off debt anymore. I'm not someone that doesn't consider myself an exercise person. So I do want to align my purchases with who I am now and who I want to become as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just increasing that mindfulness and that intentionality around it is um, really grounding. And, and also it's, it is so individualized. You're right, it's, it's connected to our identity and our sense of self. And so that is something where when you begin to have these kind of conversations with those around you and you, and you, you don't just say, Oh, where'd you get that? But you could say, what did you think and feel? And I know I would say this, my kids sometimes laugh at me when I'm like, what'd you think and feel? And they're like, Nope, not doing therapy with your mom, but <laughs> I'm still going to ask the questions. <laughs> like not but, today. <laughs> I know exactly. Um, but no, they love me. Just kidding. I mean, they love me. um, but, you know, to be able to have those abil- that ability, think of the, the enrichment that that gives you in your relationship with yourself and with others, just by pausing and looking at not just the data points of the transaction, but how did this connect? How did it feel? How did you feel when, when it arrived? How did it feel in your overall plan of who you want to be this year? All those kind of things. It's really powerful to pause and connect to those. Great work. Love it. Thank you. And so I wanted to talk about one more issue. You know, we talk a lot about how money issues aren't really about money. And so, you know, I'm curious as you're, you know, in your work as a financial therapist, what are some other root causes that people tend to think are about money, but they really aren't? 
Well, you know, first kind of going back to what we talked about, like take the sentence, take the word money out, and that will help you begin to see some of the common things that I find in it are very similar to what I said too, like beliefs about worthiness, beliefs about control, like are are people really wanting control? If someone says, oh, all they want to talk about is money, maybe what they're wanting to talk about is Um, things that they're afraid of, afraid of failure, or afraid that they don't matter to each other. That's a big one that comes up a lot, where people will use money transactions as a form of of sort of a passive communication to see if either to let someone know that they matter or to wonder, do I matter to this person? And so how much more beautiful it is to elevate that to using the words, hey, I'm really wondering if I matter to you. (laughs) You know, we want to we want to get to that place. So we're doing that. So those are a few of the things that come to my mind when we say that things about money. And I I mean, really, there's not any math on this yet. But I would say, Melanie, that probably 90 percent of things that we think are about money are not like it's a very high percentage. So when we begin to really delve into it and a financial therapy setting, we get to see maybe it's um, self-worth, it's about fear, safety, security, all those kind of things. Yeah. And also, you know, I think it definitely is about control and power and difference of values, different kind of cultural beliefs about money. And I think all of those things can come to a head, but they're kind of about these other things, but we ascribe them to money. And yeah, I think it's really important to kind of detangle what a conflict is actually about. Like, is it about this number? Is it the fact that you didn't communicate with me? Is it the fact that we don't have the same values on money? Is it the fact that you're using money as a power move? And I feel like I have no power. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all of those situations can come up so frequently, especially in marriages and romantic relationships. And so it's very important for people to address those issues head on. Yeah. A lot of times I'll talk about it too, that we're really, what we're looking at is decision-making. And I even have a decision-making matrix that um, may, we may talk about at a different time too, where we really look at what is the root of your decision-making and is it to, for instance, um, avoid things? Okay. Well, that takes you down a certain decision-making tree, or if it's to control things, maybe, you know, which might also look like perfectionism or something like that. Once you begin to identify that, you can begin to make shifts out of it. And when we look at it as decision-making instead of it's about money, it just really takes some of the power and shame out of money and helps us dig into those um, deeper issues. Ah, I love that. I love that. So if someone wants to see a financial therapist, you know, where can they find a financial therapist and what should they do? Yeah. You know, we are at financialtherapysolutions.com. I'm at Wendy at financialtherapysolutions.com. And um, there is a way to book a discovery call right there. I'd say email us. Um, There's also info at financialtherapysolutions.com. Email us, book a discovery call right there on the website. It's a 20 minute chat. It's free. You can see if financial therapy feels right for you and jump right on into the process. I love that. Thank you so much for this wonderful interview. This has been so amazing. And I know this is going to help all of our listeners and I appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks, Melanie. I appreciate you having me. I really appreciate your support for financial therapy and for me. And I love talking to your listeners. Thank you so much for listening to the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Want more content and support? Sign up for the Mental Hump newsletter and get our free Mental Health and Money Inventory Worksheet. 
You can sign up at mentalhealthandwealth.com and also check out our other blog posts and podcast episodes. Also, we host a mental health and wealth hangout every other Thursday over Zoom at 5 p.m. Pacific to chat about all things money and mental health. The best part, it is free. If you'd like to support the podcast, it would mean so much to me if you left a review. And you can also support me at ko-fi.com forward slash Melanie Lockhart. And lastly, I want to remind you to do something for yourself to take care of your mental health and wealth.